Everybody here? Hello? We are here. Hey, hey. Just going to make sure we're recording and then we'll run with it. Okay, looks good. Hey, Eric and G-Money, thanks guys for joining. Appreciate it very much. Thanks for having me. Excited for the talk. Yeah, guys, glad to be here. Thanks for having us. Yeah, for sure. Thanks, guys. So this is sort of our uh, official rebranded show. We're calling it Art Unfiltered. Going to be covering a myriad of topics, everything from generative art to market talk to uh, hanging out with good friends like we are today. So without further ado, I guess we'll get started. Um, we're going to try to spend the first 10 to 15 minutes today sort of talking broadly about the markets and make that a thing going forward uh, while we let some more folks file in for these first few minutes. Um, I guess I'll start, Vaughn, with you. Did you, did you. I know you had some stuff you wanted to like shoot out to the to us on stage. Go I ahead. just want to say great to be here for another uh, another show. I'm glad we have our name and really, really pleased to have uh, both Eric and G-Money here. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, you know, from my perspective, <clears throat> strength in the broader crypto market seemed to like have a slight downward bias on NFT prices. And I would say that most of the top tier NFTs, you know, saw slightly lower prices in terms of ETH so with a few notable exceptions. Um, if you were a hoodie crypto punk, you seem to have quite a strong bid to your market last week when we saw numerous hoodie punks trading last month, which I thought was interesting. And then, of course, the art blocks dropped from a couple of weeks ago. The Harvest uh, by Per Christian Stovlin also really seemed to catch quite a bid last week, um, more or less doubling in price. But outside of that, it, it, it did seem like there was a lot of, oh, and the checks, the checks market, but we won't talk about that. Um, but outside of that, uh, Definitely a slightly lower bias in prices and um, not a lot of volume from from my perspective. I'm just kind of curious what you guys think. Like, you know, when you see higher ETH prices, I like to think in ETH. I, I think that pretty much most of us should like to think in ETH. But I do think that um, markets tend to be a little bit softer when we see a move up like we've seen over the last couple of weeks. And, you know, just want to maybe see what, you, what my co-hosts and our guests might think about that. Yeah, for sure. I think that when we see... Uh... ETH in particular, like moving up. I mean, people are often rotating in and out, especially if they don't have long-term conviction towards specific uh, market or specific collections within the generative art market or even uh, adjacently to PFPs and AI and all the other sort of uh, markets within this space. So I think we'll continue to see that. It does surprise me at times how much, like how quickly people are willing to rotate out and how much ETH prices compress just with a 20, 30, 40% move up. Um, but you know, that's been the case for a while now. And I suspect with time, as more people allocate to things like generative art as a form of um, as a form of protection against maybe some of their other crypto assets, then, you know, maybe we'll see that that change a little bit less uh, dramatically. Yeah, I think it's kind of interesting, especially when you bring up like a project like the Harvest, it seems to me like it's getting a lot more. It's a really strong project, I think, artistically and but it's been interesting to see a lot of people that you don't typically see collecting art blocks um, buying into this project specifically. And what I'm kind of curious to find out, what I don't really know is whether, you know, those people will be here to stay for a long time or what percentage of those people will be here to stay for a long time. Um, you've seen it a few times with other projects in the past where 
it gets a lot of hype from people outside the typical ecosystem. But, you know, does it sustain? That's that's the real question. I'm curious to, to see. I mean, the thing is, is like that that's good, though. I mean, like a lot of times people are going to come into a different ecosystem or check out a new project because of a specific drop. And then they're like, oh, this is really cool. Let me see what else this is about. So I think anytime you, you onboard people, regardless of where they're coming from, the potential for that, those people, some of those people will end up becoming bigger collectors of generative art potentially, even though they might've gotten their start here. So, you know, overall a really big positive for, for the space, I think, regardless of who the buyers are, in my opinion. Yeah. I remember I read something recently, uh, maybe a medium article or blog post from Richard Chen from one confirmation. He was talking a lot about the store value thesis with generative art specifically and how that translates into people building out portfolios that are natively crypto. Right. So it's sort of like you think about in the traditional space, you know, if you're running a hedge fund or, or you're an investor of some kind, like how much do you allocate to something like art, right? And I think you see a lot of that at the highest levels. I mean, do you guys think that we'll see some of that translate into like people that are building out natively crypto portfolios? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that that's, yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, I think that as the broader crypto ecosystem expands, um, what through higher prices, more people come into the space, you're, you're going to see allocations that... Uh, even even at higher prices, it's almost like as the the universe of crypto assets is expanding, obviously NFTs can get a disproportional share of it because it's so small relative to the overall crypto market. I, mean, I remember <clears throat> when CryptoPunks were around one ETH and ETH was 500 bucks, there was a lot of speculation about, oh, if ETH goes to $2,000, what's, you know, what's going to happen to CryptoPunks? And the general consensus was the price was going to fall in ETH. And, and what ended up happening is that massive expansion of ETH going from 500 to 2000 and beyond it ultimately brought more people into the, into the space. And some of those people came in to buy CryptoPunks. And instead of seeing the price of CryptoPunks fall from 1 ETH to 0.25 ETH, and when they went from 1 ETH to you know, 25 ETH. So I think that if we, I think in the short term, when you see the move up in Ethereum prices, the natural response, especially from the marginal seller, would be to say, okay, well, I just got 20% more on my ETH. I think I'm going to just cut my price a little and sell. But ultimately, when you see the bigger move that starts pulling in, you know, almost like the gravitational mass starts pulling more people into it as prices rise, yes, you will see money being allocated to sectors that we're playing in, gen art being one of them for sure. And I do, I do think we can sustain higher prices even in a higher ETH market for that reason. Yeah, it's funny and to kind of uh, to build on what Vaughn just said is like I remember uh, when the price when I when I was entering the the CryptoPunks market and ETH was around 500, 550, and there was always there was always that talk of like if ETH were to go up, um, what happens to the price of of punks and and all NFTs? And my thesis was and still is remains the same is that yeah, in the short term you'll probably see a little bit of weakness, but I do think overall like if you're bullish on crypto in general then you want to you're going to be bullish on assets priced in crypto so in terms of like um when the stock market is at all-time highs you know real estate luxury cars wine cigars watches all these things are at all-time highs as well and i think you you see the same thing um will happen it did happen in crypto right that was like my thesis with nfts and why like i got into the things that i did because my thesis was that, you know, the wealth effect um, and people would want to get like digitally native crypto native assets. And I think we're just going to we're going to see the same thing play out where maybe in the short term you'll see a little bit of weakness. But I think ultimately um, what's good for crypto would ultimately be good for NFTs as well. 
So is it fair to say that the cheat code is quite literally to denominate in U.S. dollars, right? Because, I mean, obviously, like, I denominate in ETH. I think that's the case for a lot of people in this space. But in markets like they're, like like what's happening right now, it seems to be like you've definitely got an advantage if you're denominating in dollars, right? I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think I think G, my, G and myself are both saying the opposite, that only in the short term that's the case. And then once you start seeing the bigger move, then you see prices go up because people are coming into the space. I mean, look, I, I, I think all of us or most of us here probably agree that the crypto markets um, and digital assets have a very bright future. And I think that there's going to be a lot of millionaires and potentially billionaires minted over the next decade. And I've, I have talked about this a little bit before, but, you know, just like people in the real world, divert, like what G-Money was saying, cars and watches and all these luxury goods are being bought are at all time highs when the stock market's at all time highs. As crypto prices are going higher and higher, people are making more money. You know, they want to diversify their assets and they're going to own top tier NFTs. I don't think there's any doubt about it. Just like rich people in the traditional finance world go out and buy art and fancy cars and use these different asset classes to diversify their portfolio and fiat. I think crypto millionaires are going to obviously do the same thing. So I think bright future down the line. But in the short term, I think we can all agree that higher ETH prices are going to put a little bit of downward pressure in the short term. But if you're focused on the long term, those really should be your opportunities to get in, get involved. Yeah, G, I wonder, I had a question for you and I guess Devon as well. But like, you know, being around as long as you have, you know, what's an example of, arguably the biggest mistake that you think a collector makes in this space. And, 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 you know, I want to stay away from like the obvious things like, like FOMOing too quickly and, and, you know, just going crazy and being emotionally irrational, but like sort of like more micro and specific. Do you have any? Um, look, I have a lot of friends that come into the crypto space and they ask me what to buy. And I say, well, you should buy a crypto punk. Like, oh, I don't want to spend 60 on a crypto punk. And they end up taking, over the course of two months, they end up taking the equivalent of 60 ETH and they buy a bunch of crap projects. And then they don't understand why 50% of what they bought went to zero and the other 50% went to 50%. And, and they're all then saying, oh, I wish I would bought the CryptoPunk. You know, it's like, if you're going to come into the space, and I, I, I trust me, I get that 100000 is a is a, that's a lot of money for someone to start off with. But if you're ultimately going to put $100,000 into it, don't don't in my opinion i don't think it makes sense to to try to pick 20 projects that you put 5000 into i think that's a losing recipe that the blue chips and top tier assets are blue chip and top tier for a reason and ultimately even if you do well in your other investments you're going to want those assets eventually anyway so i would always say to people whether no matter what you're collecting um whether it's nfts or you know, any type of collectible buy the highest quality and best thing that you can buy. And you're probably better off buying one thing that's really, really good versus 20 things that are kind of average. Or you could buy five squiggles. Okay. Yeah. People that like those <laughs> things or what? That's crazy. <laughs> Matt, did you have another comment on it? I'm going to throw a question on Eric before he leaves. <laughs> no i think i think it's probably good to like kind of start you know opening up the floor for um focus on on both guests here um so yeah go ahead yeah that's fair enough eric i, I want to well, thanks for coming first of all man i know there's like a ton of things to talk about and we probably won't get to all of them but um 
you know, one thing that I'm really curious about is like, I don't know that there's a person that spends more time of their lives, you know, trying to onboard and teach people about generative art and about this space. And, and, you know, there's arguably no, nobody better suited to uh, talk about the ebbs and flows of, of that process. So I wonder, you know, like what have been the dif- biggest difficulties throughout that process? You've been doing it for several years now. And what are the things today that excite you the most? Oh man, uh, there's a lot, there's a lot there. Uh, First of all, thanks again for, for having me. Let me come on here. I'm actually going for a walk while I'm on this so I can get a little bit of exercise in too. Um, so a couple of things. First of all, a little bit to what y'all had said before. I, I, I'm all about you know uh, cryptocurrency being the medium of exchange for all of this type of art. But a little bit more towards this question, I do think that the onboarding process is just like when you're asking someone to invest in generative art because you're excited about it and you share your passions about it. You're actually asking them to invest in two different things, which is both this blockchain technology, which in my opinion, over time should not even be part of the conversation. It should just be inherently what's we're, how we're operating. And we're just going to assume that everything is this technology. If it has value, if it has like, if it's a digitally native good and it has value, but I, I worry a little bit about this idea. Like, you know, I don't know. I don't think this would happen anytime soon. Not even, I mean, for sure, not in the next two or three years, but I do worry about this idea that, if it has to be priced in ETH for it to be successful as a digitally native good, that you are just kind of inherently leaving a lot of people out of the conversation. And so I have no interest in releasing a project in USDC now, but I would like to see a project in the future where somebody's only making one investment decision, not two. They're investing in a person, an art form, a medium, but not also in like this underlying technology. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm huge hugely bullish on Ethereum and a, and a big maximalist and really grateful that I'm not using my credit card to make purchases. But I do think that there's a huge, huge window to onboard people by enabling them to operate within the ecosystem without having to make two bets. And one of those is credit card and or USDC where they are making a decision to purchase something that is one-to-one and then the rest of the decisions are based on um, what, what they're interested in and what they, what they want to do. Uh, I know that's controversial, though, and I don't know that that's necessarily going to be something that's going to change anytime soon. Like the fluidity and the ease of operating once you are within the ETH ecosystem is just so beautiful not to have to deal with USTC. Beyond that, you know, the, the shift has, there's been a pretty massive shift, and I've mentioned this in a bunch of different conversations in the past, where I think that there's a huge difference between 2021 and even parts of 2022, where the content took a backseat to the to the technology like it was all about oh my gosh did you hear these nfts went up in value even if you cared about that nft to the person you were talking to they didn't know what a rainbow colorful squiggle was so like you would generally have to speak about this thing as a uh like as kind of a, 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 a not, it's like a, an unnamed thing and then over time as the nft in and of itself just for the purpose of the nft in and of itself has failed to just capture as much value as what the content is that's inside, we're seeing a pretty broad shift, or at least I'm seeing a pretty broad shift. And, you know, um, I'll give you an example. I'd say that when I was in, at uh, NADA in Miami and I was just there for two hours and I had a chance to speak to just kind of the people casually strolling up. And I'd say that over 50% of the people I spoke to were women over the age of 70 that knew what a Chromie Scoggle was. And to me, that's, that's pretty significant. So the conversation shifts from, all the speculation to their number one concern is how do I stay safe? How do I make sure that I don't get scammed? And the reality is that within the traditional art world, people don't flip their shit every seven days. And so it's really easy 
to stay safe in the crypto space, if your intention is not to be able to act quickly on the assets that you have in your in your wallet. And so being able to like have that conversation has been very disarming for a lot of the people that are interested in getting into the space. Uh, I mentioned this a, a couple of times previously as well that I have uh, I've gifted a couple of squiggles to um, actually daughters of some of the artists that I look up to more, more than anyone else in the world. And, you know, I didn't give them, I didn't ask them to get MetaMask. I didn't ask them. I literally just printed a seed phrase. I watercolored a squiggle, which I'm not a good watercolor, but I do like the results sometimes. And I stuck the seed phrase into it and I shipped them a, a, a framed squiggle. And that really seems to resonate with people that are expressing some trepidation of entering in this space. And I don't see a lot of action being taken there. It's something that if I had more bandwidth, I would probably try to dive into more. I feel like there's a lot of research that can be done in this consumer behavior. But ultimately, these people have never even, they don't know what OpenSea is. So they have no interest in selling their NFT, or at least maybe until I do something that pisses them off. And in the meantime, they just have this thing in their living room. They know that they own a squiggle. They're a participant in this space. Uh, they can talk about it. They can share. They can get the eye rolls from their friends. They can get their friends that are curious or even collectors to have like an active conversation. And the level of risk, which seems to be the biggest barrier to entry for a lot of people, is completely eliminated. I mean, if your house burns down and you have a bunch of Rothko's in it, the last thing you're going to worry about is your crummy squiggle frame. I, I mean, for the time being. So, yeah, I don't know. I have a lot of thoughts on onboarding. and But like over overall, it seems like there's a disarming nature of letting people participate in the content, in the artist's career, in the, in the medium as it's expanding without having to participate so deeply into the actual cryptocurrency component of it. And I'd like to see a little bit more happening in that direction where, where there's more opportunities for people to participate um, as just, just collectors that we, that we are. Man, I'm out of breath. Sorry. <laughs> that's cool gee i mean you've got to have a lot of experience uh doing the same things i'm curious do you is your uh does your history with this echo eric so do you have a slightly different view or like what are folks kind of saying in terms of onboarding people you're saying yeah exactly just what those conversations are like right um yeah i mean i think it it's the gamut right because i think that you have the crypto natives right but then as you think about how do you onboard the next hundred million people these are conversations that we need to have and, and we need to figure out into exactly what Snow said, right? In terms of like in the traditional art world, people aren't, you know, flipping things every like 20 minutes, right? So it's like, um, it's just like kind of like a different, let's say, target market, right? In terms of like broadening that scope and like making it easier, you know, like just with the stuff that I'm working on, I know that I'm trying to make it as easy as possible to like onboard people into crypto without, e without them even realizing, right. It's like, how do you make it so that it's like, Oh, if you see something you like, you can buy it and you're not necessarily worried about, Oh, like what's it, you know, what's going to be my ROI in the next 30 days. Cause like in reality, most people don't operate like that, right? Like when you're collecting anything, people usually aren't like flipping things uh, for like immediate flips and, and stuff like that. So I think it's just kind of like a, a different target demo, uh, which is fine, right? You're, you're going to have like your DGENs all like us uh, and then, you know, varying degrees all the way to like super vanilla. That's like, yeah, like I'm, I'm purchasing this as an investment long-term. And, you know, I think that that's just like, you have to be cognizant of that the, the same way that there's, you know, millions of, 
of market participant types in the real world, the same thing will happen in the NFT ecosystem. I mean, I think you're demonstrating that with 90CC as well. You don't have to have a wallet to get the thing and the thing sticks with, and, you know, obviously there's a centralized component to that, which, you know, needs to be addressed. And I think over time will be addressed uh, with IYK and all these technologies. I, I got a chance to chat with them about some of the stuff they have coming up and I think it's really fun, but like you're doing that, you're enabling someone to come and purchase something. And granted, it's not necessarily capital A art, it's apparel, it's fashion, but those things are going to be on ramps just like, uh, everything else is in on ramp. Like we just happen to have it created by luck because that definitely wasn't what I was intending to do. Like this on ramp for people that are really interested in digital art uh, and interested in blockchain to be able to participate in something more meaningful than than a typical flip. And you know, being c- completely conscious of the fact that I'd say eighty percent of the people in the Artplex ecosystem that are diehard collectors today started to flip. Like they came here to flip and then discovered that there's something. A little bit more meaningful or significantly more meaningful um i missed the richard chen article that you mentioned but i did uh catch derek's article this morning and i thought that was like incredibly powerful to demonstrate just not just like what we're doing right now but to demonstrate what this means in the future and i'm just really excited uh you know i'm just i think that there's just a lot more there i, I don't think we spend enough time thinking about if this if it is a long-term store of value like One of the things that people like about gold is they can just go get gold and they can stick an ingot in their safe if they want to. Like there's no strings attached to that. And I think there's an opportunity to maybe take some of the strings attached from the art and put them uh, and and let people concentrate more on the content and like kind of the the future of it. Yeah. And to to echo what what Snowfro just said, if you if you can, I'd love it if you could if you could pin Derek's uh, thread from this morning, because I. I read that last week um, when he was like kind of like drafting it. And I think it is really good and, and puts like the entire con- co- concept in the framework. Like he, he's very eloquent about it. So I think that that's, that's really cool. So I, I highly encourage people to read that. Uh, but to Eric's point is like, I do think that we're just trying to bring people on through different, through different ways. Right. And so it's like, you know, um, through art blocks, people have been able to come in and like find a real love for generative art. And I'm hoping on like the 90cc side that people are like intrigued and, you know, maybe they're, they're like, oh, what's more to this blockchain uh, tech and like what, what else can we do with it? Because like, oh, maybe they enter through a shirt and like either they're speculating or they're, they're wearing it because they like it, but then they end up kind of getting Trojan horse into the system and really going down the rabbit hole, which is I think ultimately what happens with like all new technologies. Yeah, and that's something I'm kind of curious to see play out more over time is, you know, you're, you're exploring it with, with the fashion vertical, and I think there's definitely a lot of parallels between art and fashion. Um, but how do we, like, maybe more broadly, I think at the core, we're using the Artbox engine, correct? So, like, how do you see other applications of this potentially playing out? Like, I, I remember, I think Eric, like, floated a while ago, furniture, like generative furniture or rugs or some sort of deck to home decor could become generative. Um, we're seeing it with fashion, but curious to see like where else you guys are thinking about it. Well, I'm actually building a, a, a presentation for NFT Paris next in two weeks. And I had to kind of really think through what I was going to say, because it's, it's one of my first times I get to do a keynote. And I, I've spoken a lot like solo in my previous life in the ceramic tile world is like these continuing education credits. And one of the things that's the most important about a continuing education credit is that you're not sitting there talking about like selling your product. I feel like the early years of NFT NYC, and I haven't been for the last two years to the actual conference, but 
uh, it was just a lot of people that just went up there and it was like a big pitch about what they do. Unfortunately, everything that I live and breathe is happening on Artbox. So I actually have to like spend some time crafting this so that it doesn't feel like it's all about Artbox. But in reality, what we're doing with Engine is establishing a gamut between kind of on the very, very, very uh, ephemeral side, like a uh, receipt, you know, where you mint something and it's unique and that receipt enables you to manufacture something that's unique to you. And it's not meant to be scarce necessarily. It's just meant to be your proof of ownership. And if you want to use that as a PFP, that's great. If you want, if you lose your hat, you can come back and get another hat. If you, you know, I've, I've talked about this Ikea poster thing for a long time where, you know, you go to Ikea and, and everybody has the same theme artwork in their college dorm room, but it's not exactly the same piece. And if you, if you move, you can print it again. If you become attached to the fact that yours is unique for X, Y, Z reasons, you can print it again. So I think there's an opportunity for it to be everything from that. And then on the far end of the spectrum is the ability to kind of create these stores of value for what I consider to be the most blockchain native type of art, which now we, ha we talk about like the fine art side of, of this, which is actually what Artblocks has spent most of its time doing. So in between there, you have souvenirs and then you have design. And if you notice like a long time ago, the Artblocks website, it didn't say generative art, it said generative content stored on the Ethereum blockchain. And that's because in, in my previous life, I, I spent a lot of time in the design world. And a lot of the ideas of what Artblocks is today came from this concept that, um, you know, I, people don't want the same thing over and over. Everything from something that's like nuanced as a ceramic tile comes with veins that look like marble. And every 10 tiles, it's the same vein. And maybe most people don't pick up on that, but really high-end people building really high-end houses would say, no, I don't want any repetition for 200 pieces, 500 pieces. And as the factories kept coming out with like higher resolution tile, we'd be sitting there thinking, well, I don't need a higher resolution tile. The resolution is just fine. I just don't want to see comp like uh, 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 repetition in my tile. And, and so there's, I think this idea that there is, a, there is a world where individualistic outputs can actually have a home well beyond just fine art. Fine art works really well with, with screens, with, even with printing. But once you get into that, you start establishing a significantly higher level of friction, as G can attest to with what we did in Miami. It just it gets exponentially harder to create individual things that are physically manufactured. But if a manufacturer starts changing their re research and development budget, and instead of like spending all their time trying to make screens a higher resolution or tile a higher resolution, things that eventually the human eye can no longer perceive, the differences in resolution. And instead, they start focusing their R&D efforts into, okay, how can I streamline manufacturing processes so that every single thing that I make can be unique? And in a world where it costs the same amount of money to make a million things that are identical as it costs to make a million things that are all unique, I, I, I feel very strongly that humans will generally tend to the thing that's unique to them. Not unique like two different collections on our blocks. I mean, unique within the same collection of art books so that you can identify with a specific group or with a specific project or a specific aesthetic that you know, oh yeah, that guy has the same collection poster that I do, but it's, it's a different output. I think that to me, it just feels like it's impossible that the world will not gravitate more towards that, especially being able to kind of learn from the product market fit of what has happened on our blocks with like what wasn't originally intended to be like fine art collected by major you know, art institutions, but has turned into that and has demonstrated, you know, this kind of distribution mechanism that, that didn't really exist before. Uh, Eric, I have a question for you. Um, really relates to decentralization and uh, it kind of taking a step back. We were talking about onboarding people and you're talking about bringing people into the system and 
some of the stuff you were saying, you know, I, I onboarded quite a few people and I always insist on doing it, you know, correctly with hardware wallets and all, all the proper procedures. And I, but I guess the thing is, I agree with you. It's very complex. If we want to onboard hundred million people or a billion people, or whatever the number is, I mean, we're probably going to have to compromise on some of our purest thoughts and from a decentralization standpoint. So the question is how much centralization risk are we, or how much centralization are we willing to introduce into the system in order to ease the transitional process? Or in, in your mind, do we, do we have to compromise on the decentralization aspect of it? I honestly don't think we don't, that we have to compromise, but it really matters on a timeline. It, like the protection of your NFTs is totally directly correct, correlated to the timeline in which you plan on taking an action on that NFT. I was on a call earlier uh, with Matt talking about what we're doing in Paris and, you know, Ledger is hosting this really nice event and, you know, um, I'm, I, I love everything Ledger's done. Like we, we let Ledger into our Venus over Manhattan uh, exhibition spaces because why the hell would people not secure their stuff or learn about securing their stuff as they're exploring an NFT that has a, a $20,000 floor. But like, then you talk about my personal security with NFTs and what, where, where I have all my punks and glyphs and me bits and all of my art blocks pieces, there's no need for a ledger or a hardware wallet. It's literally a matter of a, a procedure to secure your NFTs in a way that you're comfortable with. And so for me, the most important thing was making sure that those things did not live in my home because I, I just don't want access to them. I don't want them to be anywhere near me or my family. And so it takes me two weeks to collect my seed phrase in order to put everything together so I can claim a damn friendship bracelet, which I did that for, for significance perspective, not because I needed the, the you know, more NFTs or more uh, art blocks pieces. And so to me, I think there's like a, it's a time correlation. And so in that shorter time span, when the people do need to flip, because that's how they dip their toes in the water. And honestly, it's just a ton of fun. I don't know that centralization is a problem because it's just like when you put money into a bank or it's when you, well, maybe not a bank because it's a little bit more regulated, but you know, like there's many times in, in, in your life where you put something into something without having full guarantees that you're going to be able to get it back. And usually you do that for shorter time horizons. So the hardware wallet is kind of like an in-between between an active hot wallet and a shorter time and then a longer time horizon, kind of like where I have my NFT stored. And while I don't personally use any kind of centralized custodial service, just because I feel like I'm a power user, I guess, in, in the world of crypto, I don't know that I have a problem with people using centralized systems as long as they don't leave their stuff in there, as long as it's only in there for the same amount of time that you would leave something in a, in a hot wallet. I think um, the... The reality there is that it's, it's the escape from that centralized system that people don't understand when the time is right or they get set in their ways or they get used to it or they get so busy trading and flipping NFTs that they don't think about the centralized nature of the, of the space that they're in. But if you, if you really kind of take a step back and think, like, we, there's, there's really not much harm. If you really were going to go, for example, thank God this didn't happen, but FTX was going to launch a, a centralized trading platform. If you deposit your NFTs into that, just like in Bittrex, you deposit your tokens into that because you want instantaneous database-backed uh, transactions. The idea there is that then you take it out of there whether it, when it has value, whether you take cash into the bank or whether you put it into a hardware wallet or into like a, a seed phrase-based uh, paper storage. And I, I think that's just really what it comes down to. If you have a really short timeline, then centralized is good 
But centralized probably needs to go out of their way to help people exit. And that's not necessarily in the best interest of a centralized organization to, to, to encourage people to stop using um, their services. But ideally, if people are practical about it, they can enter and exit a centralized system. And yeah, there's still a risk during that time. But it's really the people that got screwed with FTX are people that just kept their stuff on there for, for prolonged periods of time without any expectation to remove it. Yeah, I mean, Eric, obviously you're, you're bringing up points that we all need to subscribe to is um, segregating assets and making sure most of your assets are protected. I think a lot of people like having, obviously having their access to their assets in the short term to be able to take advantage of the short term market fluctuations and trades and flips and stuff like that. But, you know, the point, one of the points that you made that I think we all should really make a real effort to with everyone in the space is to take your asset security way more important way put it on a very very high level because lots of people lost money ftx lots of people keep crypto punks in hot wallets i mean i don't know how it's possible for someone to do that but it, people do it all the time so I, I i appreciate you bringing that up for one thing and also your good answer um i i remain like very confident in saying that printing maybe not maybe etching onto a steel plate just for extra security, but putting it into the frame of a physical print or even gosh, like if Samsung, the frames had a little slot to slide like a steel plate that was engraved in it. Like if somebody was going to break into your house to steal a bunch of art, sure. Maybe they could grab that. They could also grab a Rothko or a Pollock or whatever off the wall and steal that. And that probably is, you know, um, just as value or, or more valuable than a lot of the crazy NFTs that are in our space. The security implications of having, your stuff off of the network cannot be beat. And, and it just ties you into the more into the realm of understanding normal everyday risk in operating, having a, a car that could get stolen or a painting that could get stolen or somebody breaks into your safe and takes a diamond ring. That, that has not been solved for humanity on how to keep things secure from you know, theft in that way. But we, it's almost like as an as a, as a, as a industry have basically said, here is all my stuff. I walk around with it all the time. I carry it with it. It's, on the, it's, it's two clicks away on my computer. And, and our most valuable things have, are easier to access than like breaking into your car. And, and I think that's where I think that there's an opportunity to kind of change um, the way that people consider security. It's like, let's ever, like, I would love to do a full drop where the drop entirely comes with the print and the print has a seed phrase on the back of it. And look, if you want to go secure it, great if you go take that super secure thing and put it into a hot wallet man i mean hopefully there's good instructions in there for you not to do that but it feels it feels pretty easy to me that that would be a great way to onboard people that are not currently participating in the ecosystem uh which you know the more people the better the less we feel like an echo chamber the better there's some really beautiful announcements that are going to be coming out over the next few weeks or, or months about institutional collecting and you know that's that's what we need. We need more eyes on this, but we don't need more eyes on this because something sold for X millions of dollars. We need more eyes on this because somebody cares of what, about what we're doing for the content outside of our, of our ecosystem. It adds value to every single person that's currently in the ecosystem and, and, and really supports the pieces that have, that have gained respect and notoriety um, over the last couple of years. Yeah. I wonder like, is it, is that really like the biggest issue, right? Like we all want to see more, participation and new folks coming in and frankly having as much fun as we did when we first hit the mid button right i mean that's the whole point that's the whole 
reason like I got into this space and I think a lot of other people did as well. So it's just like, is it really the biggest problem from a security angle or is it more of an issue of like people just don't understand generative art and algorithmic art and stuff like that? I mean, in, in my estimation, it's more of a, much more of a former than the latter. Like Eric and G, I know you guys have talked to a bunch of people and, and explained this uh, issue to, you know, through the gamut, right? And so, uh, yeah, curious where you guys land on that spectrum. Yeah, I think um, I think it's really interesting because I think when you're, especially when you're bridging uh, the, both worlds, there's like a little misunderstanding from from each side, right? And I'm gonna use the the collab that Snowfall and I just did as an example, where, you know, I kind of feel like from the outside, like if you're not in the crypto space, you understand the t-shirt, right? Like you're like, oh yeah, this is a t-shirt and there's an NFT that's unique to that t-shirt and that is linked to that t-shirt and like conceptually that makes sense. But I think from like the NFT side is like, it's not a purely digital collectible, right? Like there's a physical component to it. And I think people, it's like a learning process. And I think it's, you're, you're going to have um, different degrees of understanding, right? And I think that just takes time and is education. So although I think part of it is definitely security and getting people comfortable so that they, you know, it's not where it's like, oh, I click on one random button and, uh, you know, all my NFTs disappear. But also it's like education of like, you know, pushing boundaries. And I know because this is like, this is stuff that like Snowball and I talk about a lot. Like most of our conversations are, are discussed around this of like, oh, like, you know, trying to bring in other and new players, not, not to necessarily um, like pump our bags, but it's like, because like everybody everybody is on a different um on a different plane of understanding right and so like what might make uh the concept click for you won't necessarily make it click for everybody right and i think it's just a combination of education and educating about safety as well yeah i think the funny thing is like if you steal a rothko off someone's wall like i wish you the best of luck trying to sell that and navigating the secondary market like whereas with an nft you can you can just take the highest available like weath offer on that piece i guess i guess OpenSea actually just made an announcement yesterday where they're locking up suspicious nfts for three hours but i think that's like a key difference and it's kind of intimidating for a lot of people when i talk to them about like you know like there's there's guardrails in place with traditional art you can't just steal a rothko and sell it you, you, you can do that with an nft though and that's like kind of something that intimidates people as well yeah i don't disagree with the rothko thing at all right there i, I would say that Generally, the people that would lose a Rothko may not get it back. Like whether it's easier for the person buying it or stealing it to to capitalize on it, I totally agree. Like the NFT ecosystem enables that. Um, but you know, I, I guess another thing that I, I'd like to say is that you know we we are here. We are so deep into all these things that we're spending our time on, and we're all very excited about it. And there's a very big difference of getting new people to enter because we want to pump our bags or because we want them to buy our NFTs. There's another very big difference. There's another way of doing this, which is you're doing this because damn it, I'm having such a fucking good time. Like I just can't imagine people that I think are open-minded, not thoroughly enjoying this process, at least what I've experienced for the last five years, which has had ups and downs. So it's not all, it's not all upside. And so there's, there's also not a huge rush here. And I think that the more sometimes the more, value assigned to these nfts the more detrimental it is for these processes that we have of outreach and ongoing stuff i'll give you an example the friendship bracelets like my goal was to buy like hundreds of them at 0.05 eth just so i could have this like massive collection i did not expect them to get to where they got in price i didn't want them to get to where they got in price right the whole point is that this is huge addition one of the largest nft collections that's ever been released 
And I'm thinking, okay, yeah, like supply of 75,000, people will clearly keep the price down. And when you keep the price down, like if I can buy it for 50 bucks, I can gift it for 50 bucks. I can't go around giving everybody $600 gifts, but I can very easily, and I've done this in the past, give $50 gifts. So the reason that I wanted the price to be low is so that I can spread the word a little bit. We seem to, obviously like, it's fun for the people in the space. So obviously that's why, you know, the values of those things go up, but there's not, there's no rush. Like a lot of the people that are participating in this space right now were, that, that are friends of mine were gifted a crypto that cost me 20 bucks. Their, their on-ramp into this was very different. Obviously there was a big upside for them because they didn't pay anything for it, but the conversations were very, very much more interesting and exciting in 2018 and 2019 about CryptoPunks before that they before they hit the two hundred dollar mark, um, that because they weren't all about money, it was about technology, it was about like the passion for generative art, it was about like the beauty of like this distribution mechanism, and so I think if we're conscientious of the fact that like like there's no to me there's no rush, like we need we need people to be able to enter into the space, not get sucked into or dragged into the space against their own will. Those people are going to be the more meaningful long term holders, and like I said earlier. People entered into the crypto space maybe for trading stocks or for trading crypto and then flipping art. But those people found a home with generative art, with art blocks or FX hash. They found a home there. And, and that transformation from flipper to art appreciator is, is, is priceless. And so how do we get people to have that experience again? Like that's, that's one of the things I spend the most amount of time thinking about. How do we get people to have the early art blocks experience the early FX hash experience, the early CryptoPunks experience, because that is disarming. People were not there necessarily because they thought they were going to like a thousand X. They were there because they were deep into the excitement and the rabbit hole of what this, of what this technology means. And it, it continues to be exciting for me as someone that's been now, I guess I'm approaching my seventh year since claiming CryptoPunks. Like, like all of the things that have happened have not changed just like this deep excitement and appreciation and enthusiasm for for the, for the beauty of this technology. And if we can get through and help people understand the beauty of this without the financialization, I think we have a much easier time. The financialization draws in big money, which makes a lot of sense too. I don't know where our blocks would be today um, in terms of like, you know, museums and all that kind of stuff if it wasn't for some of the early investments of some of the funds, like the three ACs and all the other like awesome art collecting venture funds that are out there, like art blocks may not be in the same place that it's at. So that's, that's fine. But 99% of people don't have that kind of fun or, or, or have that kind of access to capital. But those 99% of people are going to be able to find a home here. That's like full of, you know, the same excitement that we found it when we first entered the space. And I'd, I'd love to kind of concentrate on, on finding ways to do that. I think that uh, 90C is doing a fantastic job of that. And, and some of our engine partners that we're kind of exploring right now, I think are going to do the same. So, you know, always looking for that next, we're still early moment to me is invaluable. Uh, and I encourage everybody else to be doing the same. And, and also as you speak to people, you know, find that like we're still early vibe because to me, Derek's article, you know, I, t- I retweeted today, like it, it, it just screams, we're still early all over it. And, and that is a vibe that people are excited to enter because they don't feel like they've already like been outpriced or been left out of the market. And there's, there's always going to be the next ringers and the next Fidenza and, and those big pieces. And when people stumble into them because of the love and appreciation for the content versus, you know, like purely speculative reasons, it's a good feeling. You can't take that back. They, they, they keep that forever. And, uh, you know, I think, yeah, trying to find that for people 
uh, is meaningful and, and something that we can we could probably focus some of our efforts towards. It's funny you mentioned that about friendship bracelets. I was go- planning to give one to my sister as a Christmas present, but then like the price action like made me think twice about it. And I know that was Damn like it. originally <laughs> your intent. So, I, but I actually ended up doing something more meaningful where we actually like sat down together and shopped for art that truly resonated with her. You know, obviously. I think that was like a more meaningful experience, but it's, it's funny how you mentioned like friendship bracelets and how that kind of, and that, that price action goes into like how you're thinking about it. And don't get me wrong. Like I'm incredibly proud of what's happened with friendship bracelets. It has demonstrated something I've been thinking about for a really long time, but it demonstrated it much faster than I thought it would. And much like just more intensely than I thought it would. And you know, it's like friendship bracelets. I said that even when, when we announced it, it's another way of letting people feel like they're still early in this process. Like, that they that they belong. Somebody could have bought a twenty five dollar NFT off the floor of Art Blocks and, and been able to participate in that, or be gifted one. And so I'm really proud of what happened with it. Um, I you know this is maybe going to make people cringe, but like I am on a mission to to find a way to release high quantity NFT artwork that has value, uh, not because of scarcity, and that's so hard. I feel like. To me, that's the, that's the thing that we have to crack to get to a point of mainstream adoption. We have to crack this thing about scarcity because, you know, I said this before, like iPhone, when they run out of phones, they go make more phones. Like most companies in the world, when they sell out of the thing that they make, they go and make more. That doesn't necessarily suit the, the luxury uh, brand lifestyle. And there's a perfect niche cut out for that. But just consider that the majority of the world operates outside of that. So whoever cracks the the puzzle here whoever figures out the puzzle of the nft that does not have to have you know utility or you know financialization for people to want to consume it and does not have to have scarcity on top of that is going to be in a really good spot so you know again you know we talked about friendship versus maybe being an l2 project in the future where there is no scarcity and obviously there'd be differentiations to to keep the value of like the og l1s in place but the idea here is that this thing is like meant to be trivial, but interesting, compelling, inspire curiosity, give people delight. You know, like I, I, the idea that somebody would walk by a Claire's store, if y'all don't know what that is, it's a little girl's like fashion store with jewelry. I don't know if it's, it might just be for adults too. I don't know. But I always walked by them growing up and there's just like candy in there, you know, colorful bracelets and stuff. And I'm just thinking like, is there a world where somebody just walks up to one of those stores and pays $10 for this thing and, and back to the receipt concept, prints out a receipt. You have a little piece of artwork. It puts a piece of artwork in your wallet and all of a sudden you have a bracelet in your hand. And I think, you know, there's more to be explored and more to be discovered here. Uh, open editions are starting to kind of scratch that itch a little bit, but they, they miss the individuality component, which I think is just so important. Um, at least for me, at least in the thesis that I'm trying to build out for our blocks. So, you know, we'll see. I don't expect it to happen in the next year or two, but I would like to continue to release projects that have this less scarcity based demand and more intrinsic value based demand. And uh, that'll, I think, help support everything else that's in the ecosystem that does have, uh, you know, intrinsic value and financial value and scarcity value. But um, yeah, I don't know. It goes back to onboarding. We, we, We can all do a better job as platforms to support onboarding in the space. Eric, it's super weird you were talking about the, the Claire's analogy because I had this thought, I don't know if you remember the, the holographic squiggle that we saw, the digital in Miami in, was it 2020 or something like that? Yeah. 
Ooh. Yeah, and I was thinking, like, man, it'd be cool if, like, friendship bracelets, and I don't know where the technology is in this. I might be talking, I don't know, you know what. But um, it would be cool if you had, like, a bracelet that could be enabled holographically and, like, you had the corresponding NFT to it, right? So you walk around, and it's almost like this, like, Ready Player One environment where you can just, like, enable it. And it's, like, you know, it's like a literal, like, friendship bracelet, like, on your on your arm. It's kind of cool. With the animation and everything, that'd be pretty wild. Yeah, yeah. yeah, pretty awesome, right? The future is near, guys. The future is near. In the meantime, I'd be pretty happy with a machine that literally you mint a bracelet and it feeds out the string and it, a robot grabs the end, twists it, folds it, twists it, ties it, and literally puts it on your wrist. And that does not feel that far away. I mean, I feel like maybe for a hundred grand worth of like research and development, you could probably put a machine like that together. And that experience, I think, would be so compelling. Like, you know, I think about the, the kiosks and shopping malls, like... I grew up with those things just rotating out all the time. And it was always just some kind of knickknack. Some of them would stay. Some of them turned into massive operations like Build-A-Bear. But, you know, it's like that kind of, you didn't go to the shopping mall to, to see what's at the kiosk, rarely. But, like, you walked by and inspired curiosity. It was always some kind of thing that, that caught your attention. I think that that's a state that we're currently in, in crypto, in, in like, generative art, and especially generative manufacturing concepts. Like, we are in the kiosk stage. We need to inspire delight and curiosity out of people walking by and say, hey, I want to kind of play there. And once they do, the, it's just like the world opens up to all this madness that's happening in our ecosystem. But the on-ramp wasn't word of mouth, someone being like, oh, yeah, you can make a bunch of money on this. Not that there's anything wrong with that either. I mean, shit, I, I definitely was very guilty of that in 2017 with all the shit coins that I participated in. But, you know, the... The, I think the delight and the curiosity is what's going to draw the mainstream to want to participate in this and not feeling like they have to flip to be successful, I think, is part of that as well. We should have another episode where we talk to you about masternodes and ICOs. That should be, that should be a good episode. Yo, I probably had like 95 different masternodes <laughs> on time. Yo, I had like 25 Pivx nodes and like nine Mu nodes. Oh, man. Poor, poor Pixel Pete really had to hear. Yeah. <laughs> gee, gee, I remember when I uh, was, I think I was with Vaughn, I think Vaughn, I was with you and Eric and a few other people when we came to Miami and we were at the NDCC um, yeah, space yeah, and, and that was super fun because it gets into this conversation about pairing experience with, you know, being a collector in the space and, and how much stickiness that that has. And I mean, we definitely saw a lot of that. I remember, you know, when I went up and I paid for one, I was watching come out. I'm like, this is super cool, right? We see the reveal. We've got the folks in the back printing them. It's like a, you know, 15, 20 minute process between payment and like receipt and you've got the physical good, the NFT, the whole thing. And, and I wonder like, you know, going forward, is that going to become more of a, a sort of standard for collectors and, and, and collections at large and, and how much does that help onboarding? Yeah. So, I mean, I think that, you know, when, when Sofro and I were talking about this, it was kind of like in the not too distant future, what does this world look like, right? Where you get a one of one of X, right? Where instead of going for mass production, people are going for mass customization. And that's exactly, and we, we spent so much time talking about this of like, you know, the, like the digital side of the tech is way ahead of like the production side, right? And it's kind of like, what do these manufacturing processes start to look like, start to change? Um, and then how does that affect like the end state uh, with the consumer? Where ultimately, I think that that's where we're headed because I think humans as individuals, we like to be unique, right? Like we like to be part of something, but we also want to be unique. And so I think that that's one, we've seen how um, how incredibly important and strong that meme is in a totally digital world. And now the question is, how do we bring that out into the real world? 
because I really do think like stuff like that, when people experience things, because I mean, we, I think everybody in this room has probably had this conversation where people are like, I don't get NFTs. They're stupid. And then, you know, my conversations that I have with them is like, oh, like everything in the real world is an NFT. You just don't call it an NFT. And then I start giving them examples and they're like, oh, okay. That starts to make a little more sense. So it's really just kind of like getting people used to the concept, helping them understand that they already know the concept. And now then it's like, all right, and then look what's possible with it, right? That wasn't possible before. Like you couldn't do this before uh, and have like digital ownership uh, over a certain digital asset. This is uh, just kind of the last point. Like there is friction in manufacturing, but there's not nearly as much friction. And for example, what Bright Moments is doing with in-person minting, which has captivated at least my heart in terms of like having that experience. And then if you take it a little bit step further of friction, like, if everybody in the world had an axi draw plotter, then we get to a point where there's a lot less friction for something like plottables to be able to demonstrate that like beauty of being able to create your own artwork to the same specifications of the artist. And in Marfa, we had um, plottables with a Stevie P drop with instructions for defacement, which to me, I think is maybe, maybe the best conceptual artwork in, in the space to date. Like it just kind of blows my mind and checks so many different boxes. But I saw a lot of people mint their first NFT with the biggest grin on their face. And that wasn't the, uh, the bright moments in-person minting thing, although, you know, there was some in-person minting thing uh, there, but it was more of this, like, just this empowerment of like, okay, I have this thing and I'm watching it be done. And this is like the, the real physical output that it's meant to be. It just, there's, there's so much more to explore there. And we find ourselves generally too busy uh, to just dedicate ourselves full time to that onboarding of delight and excitement. But it's, it's definitely on, on top of our mind at Artbox consistently, and I think it's on the top of mind for many of the people that are in the ecosystem right now. Uh, Eric, I just want to say sorry. I missed you at the Velament. I, uh, I went to dinner with the missus and uh, left before you arrived, I guess. So sorry. I, I got there after it was over, but I did get oh, to see you? some minted, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I got there at the very end. I, I had to go to a dinner before that. But yeah, sorry to miss you as well. Nice. Um, a question I have uh, for my uh, co-host as well as our guests is uh and it stems from a conversation that I'm, i i believe I, eric and i spoke about a very long time ago but um we we're talking about bots or some issues relating to bots and different types of mechanisms for drops and i remember eric saying uh very clearly like i'm sick of fighting decentralization so but the but the question i have i want to pose and talk about is you know, we are seeing more issues relating to bots. And we I know for some of the non-curated drops, we're starting to see some allow lists to start to mitig potentially mitigate some of the worst effects of that. And I, I guess the question is, you know, primarily for Eric, but I want to hear from our other guests and hosts, like how we finally gotten to the point where the downside, uh, the, 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 the downside of slightly reducing or fighting decentralization through allow lists may have come to a point where it makes sense to help mitigate some of the effects, the negative effects that we're seeing relating to bots. This is a very deep conversation. I'm just going to say one thing real quick. I don't know that it makes sense either still. And I do think that what's important is listening to the community, being open-minded, being willing to experiment. Um, I, I don't feel comfortable like, you know, saying that our blocks is going to do something that I just flat out disagree with. Like we're doing it because I, I want to explore and experiment and maybe we'll be surprised by something, but I am convinced that like, it's not that different from 
you know, the, the, the issues that we dealt with early on in, in art blocks were like an entire drop was minted out in literally 30 seconds. Like nobody had the, the collecting experience back then either. And that was when there wasn't even bots involved or if there were, it wasn't even that many, like people were getting bits. I also think like eight to 10 pieces per bot for two or three bots. Like that seems to rub people the wrong way pretty bad to me like 170 out of 200 mints being able to be enjoyed by the collector considering the implications of decentralization and considering the implications of trying to mess with decentralization to me feels like a, a, a pretty decent ratio and, and you know i see people really weigh in on like these people that would mint 10 pieces over and over uh i just want to clarify that i minted 14 ringers right i mean granted back then there wasn't as much competition and you know i bought the things that i was just like madly in love with but there are people in this world that do actually just want to own a lot of them and i think each of those just like myself like have scaled back to just minting one to let more people have a chance but um you know it's i think it's human condition it's like human nature to 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 want to collect more if you if you have the ability to get more and and um you know there's there's new minting mechanics that we're going to do to make the situation better hopefully and to explore and the allow listing i think for curated just makes me want to like crawl into a crawl into a hole the idea that we would ever allow this to curate a drop but especially after all this talk about like onboarding new people but um you know i think we, we will all do the best that we can and we will continue to doing that and if it ever looks like we're not doing the best that we can we need to be called out for it and I, i'm open for that i'll just say you know all right i minted 16 ringers I, I tweeted it today actually about ringers it's funny that you brought that up but I'm, i'll pass it off to my guests and co-hosts yeah and i also think like it's kind of been healthy for the price action of, of a project like ringers to see like a low concentration of owners because like eric said there are a lot of people that genuinely do want to have a large set it's just like collecting any other item like people sometimes like making sets and having a lot of stuff within a certain you know category so it's just one observation did you did you say people sometimes like collecting sets sometimes sometimes okay just want to <laughs> clarify that <laughs> no comment um Gee, I wonder, uh, I guess it's really for you or Eric, whichever you has a preference for answering it, like what's been something that, you know, in the several years that you've been in the space and, and doing all the various things that you've done that is a massive surprise to you, something that was like highly unpredictable you couldn't see coming? Uh, the rate of adoption, like what, far and away. Like I remember uh, when I bought my punk, I was like, I was like, all right, I'm just going to hang out in Discord with my my newfound internet friends uh, geeking out on this stuff and you know the world will catch up in like four to five years and it took like another like 60 days uh and and every and everybody in the world knew what an nft was at that point that, that was kind of your fault yeah, <laughs> it was some of your tweets out there were just so compelling like the, you know digital flex and stuff i, I kind of think that you might have been your own guilty of, of ruining that experience for yourself but at the same time you were so right man and you kind of nailed it um, I mean, yeah. well, I like that, but all of that was like some teachers like you, Vaughn, um, like, you know, just hanging out in the discord. It's funny. I was, I was in a, in a chat yesterday where we were talking about Nate, Nate Alex's squiggly. Right. And um, I was, I was saying how that was like the first, um, the first project where I swept the floor and then somebody like literally went back in the discord and like, they found like my first post in there where I was like, how do I do this? I'm a noob here. Right. And like, it's <laughs> like amazing. all you guys taking the time to like educate me. Right. And it's just like me then taking that education and then putting it in a way that I think ultimately like a lot of people started to understand. 
my quick answer to that is the price of Chromium Squiggles continues to just baffle me. I'm super proud of it, but it's just insane to think about. I mean, does it really baffle you though? Like, I mean, you you in light of like what what the whole um, long form generative art movement. I mean, you created a new class of art, and this was the first iteration of it. And not only are you the pot, you know, did you create art blocks, but it's your first project. I mean, I don't know, it's becoming the more or less the banner of generative art. I mean, I'm at this point, I'm not surprised anymore. And I wouldn't be surprised to keep seeing it go up. I'm not asking you to speculate on price. I know you don't like doing that. But <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just saying, like, I, I'm not that surprised anymore. I think the, the, the thing to consider here is that I spent even to this day, more time thinking about the Chromius Google and art blocks than the amount of times that Artbox has existed. And and so, yeah, I mean, literally leading up to that, leaving an open edition of 10,000, because I was like, who the hell is going to buy this thing, um, to what it is today is just completely, uh, it, it's just completely the opposite of what I expected to happen. Uh, and, you know, four years ideating a platform and trying to come up with ideas and reaching out to artists. And, you know, I, I texted Chettle the other day. I found an old Instagram message that I sent him in 2018. Like, just really... Um, the, like it was just this hobby. It was just a hobby. It was a, a really nerdy niche hobby. And and then what it's ha- what's happened since then, uh, it just it just still feels unbelievable every single day. I, I have one more thing to add on this, and I just want to say, like Eric, you hit on this before. We're talking about the CryptoPunks Discord and stuff like that, and you know how all of us was just nerding out talking about CryptoPunks, and none of us thought they were going to thousand X or whatever that they did. Um, but I just want, want to say that, you know, you being such a key member of that group and being so open and honest with your time and your knowledge, like really gave a lot of people a lot of confidence to, to, to follow you when you started Artblocks and, you know, changed a lot of lives. And I, I mean, I know you hear this all the time, but really appreciative of how honest and sincere and generous you were with your time and really helped people like me and many other people to understand the vision and ultimately have more or less a life-changing experience as a result of being involved with Artblock. So just want to say I really appreciate everything, obviously. Well, I appreciate you too and all the people that have come since and uh, supporting and collecting and wanting to have this conversation is pretty important and uh, meaningful. So yeah, thanks everybody. Yeah, Eric's great. For anybody that hasn't met, hasn't had the pleasure to meet him, I mean, he's really just the most genuine and warm-hearted creature maybe I've ever met on the face of the earth, which is kind of insane to say, but he really is. I remember the first time I ever went to a generative art-related event, it was at the Digital in Miami, and I was with some people, couldn't have been more than a group of six or eight of us, and we were all going to go and just like grab a beer or maybe like grab a bottle of wine and share a glass of wine together or something like that. And I had never been introduced to Eric. I'm pretty sure he had no idea who I was. And he just went up to me. He's like, hey, man, do you want anything to drink? <laughs> and I just was like sort of floored because I sort of saw him as this enigma. And uh, he's like the same guy, no matter who you are. And I think that story talk, uh, spells to who Eric is like better than any, any, any other one. So thanks, man. You're the best. Yeah, <laughs> I think I was there that night in Miami. It was pretty hilarious. Um, like I, I think he was, I didn't think it was possible, but I think he was like super stoked when he found out that I was like the guy with the cowboy hat, uh, in the discord. Um, and I think like, it kind of speaks to like a greater point of just like identifying people in this space that like are genuine and have like, you know, the right intentions and really just making sure you align yourselves with them. I think like that's like a really important just principle to have 
not only when you're thinking about collecting from certain artists or doing business with certain people, but, but I think like he certainly checks all those boxes. Like you guys just said. Yeah. I had no idea like what being an art collector was like 50 or 75 years ago or even longer, but like that whole like story about, you know, coming for just seeing like if there's money to be made in this space to like staying for the art or whatever is like so real. Right. I'm like the perfect example of it. Um, and it's hard to imagine like any other outcome now. So I don't know like what people were doing back then, but man, I hope they have as much fun as I did, you know, stumbling up onto this space for sure. This is the most fun I've ever had in my life. I hope, you know, similar people can, can feel that way. It's just been really crazy the last few years and it's people like you guys that make it, make it so special. So yeah. Thanks y'all. Well, it's really cool that we have this opportunity to like actually interact with artists that we're collecting from you know like when i was buying art before i found out about generative you know you might go through a gallery and you may get to like grab a drink with the artist if you're if you fork over enough money to buy one of their paintings or pieces or whatever it is but like here like you actually get a chance to you know interact with these artists and get to know them before buying the work you don't have to go through some gallery or something which i think like is a really powerful part of what draws me into this space um as well yeah, dude, Dimitri, you would go in the, in the Dimitri channel and art blocks back in the day, and you would just, like, st- ask a couple questions. And within, like, an hour, like, five people and the artists would respond, sometimes with, like, spreadsheets and breakdowns of, like, rarity rankings. Like, oh, yeah, you should check this out, and you should run the generator and do this and do that. And it was just, like, such a foreign concept, right? I mean, if you tried to call Pacer Gogosian or some gallery, I mean, you get transferred four times before anybody would even answer the phone. I mean, it's kind of insane. It is a little interesting, though, and I'm curious to get like everyone else's thoughts on this, is we are starting to see that model creep in a little bit into this space as demand for certain artists' work becomes, you know, gets larger. Like, there's now galleries that are sort of representing and doing drops where you have to go through the gallery to get a certain one-of-one from an artist. And I'm wondering, like, I mean, from one standpoint, it's good that you want the right collectors to be getting your work. That's That's good for the artist. But you also don't want to creep too far into that territory of you know going back to the same problems that kind of make giving uh, the traditional art world so much friction so i'm curious to hear where people stand on that spectrum i mean that's basically an allow list right so it's not i mean that's kind of what the issue is but i think that there's a happy medium to be reached in between the the i was on a call the other day with someone that said you know what other time in history can anybody just wake up one day and make art and make money on it and i'm like well that is going to become harder and harder as time goes by because someone has to discover that art because Twitter is becoming a complete shit show. And I'd say that less individual artists break out every year, every year after year that I've been in this space. And so artists need mentorship. They need someone to help them understand how to value their art, how to talk about their art. And um, so I think that there's a heavy place for it. But I mean, working, for example, with Venus over Manhattan has has been a, a, a pure joy. But there's also been a lot of like, conversation like very hard conversations like where you know what is the value to each of it not just to me like what is the value to you to your gallery your reputation that you built over the last few years and i think that ultimately what's going to be so valuable is going to be the transparency factor of this because you can allow list all day long but then at the end you'll see who won the allow list i guess unless you do like an anonymous wallet and so i think there's a certain level of being able to hold people accountable after the fact and i think um that's that's just really important here and uh uh, whereas with the traditional art gallery, you might never know. I mean, you, you might never have walked into the gallery for fear of being, you know, looked down upon or them being snooty. Whereas now, like, it's an open e- ecosystem and there's some accountability that comes after that. So I think it's a win-win. 
but it's definitely not going to be, you know, crypto art is not going to disrupt the art world entirely. And the art world is definitely interested and curious and, and trying to find their way in. And the ones that are embracing it and willing to negotiate with artists and work with them and understand, you know, what's the difference between me selling 300 squiggles through Venus versus unpausing the squiggle mentor? I assure you, I would have sold squiggles for more money if I unpaused the squiggle mentor than if I did it, you know, kind of in the slower way up. But, uh, or I personally would have made more money, I guess. But like, that's not the point. The point is, you know, trying to find new markets, trying to find new people. And they bring a, <laughs> frankly, a collector that's less likely to sell your artwork in the next year than, uh, than the crypto space does. So I think there's a happy medium to be found there. I don't think we found the medium yet. It's just, it's going to be found and it's going to be great. Is your opinion that hybrid incentivization structures that may or may not include things like allow lists are the way to go? I mean, you've got like, you know, collectors now that own mountains of art box pieces and presumably would really like to continue owning more in the future. I mean, I'm assuming like, you know, you've thought a lot about, you know, how do you retain those people and, and reward them for being early participants while at the same time not neglecting new buyers, new onboards, people that want to have a chance to like participate in this ecosystem, right? I mean, unless we're going to open these things up to open editions, which I know is the contentious topic of the week, um, there's going to have to be some, some tough decisions made there. Do you all remember when uh, MeBits came out and there was a lot of frustration? Uh, wait, was it MeBits? No, it was, I think, the Protoglyph where you know, people were like, oh, Autoglyph's owners should have had access to that. Or, and, and maybe so, it's the Protoglyph, like the one that became the Glyph, or maybe people that had a whole set of Autoglyphs. And like, I don't know, like when people first say that, they say it's so charged and I'm like, oh yeah, man, I have a bunch of glyphs. I should. And then I was like, no, like I think, I think there's, um, I think there are ways to reward the people that are deep participants in the space. But I think a lot of those are just like treating people to something that didn't really have before and to, and to create an experience that didn't exist before. And I think that we just have to be so careful because like, I don't want to create an SEC situation at a box and we will do everything to go out of our way to make sure that we're never promising future value on anything that we're doing. And the, the opposite of that is when you start rewarding. If you, if you reward by coincidence or by surprise in the same way that we rewarded with the friendship bracelets or like the, uh, I'm, I'm pretty proud of like the way that we did the allow listing for the, uh, for the uh, squiggle mints with Venus uh, in that I wasn't direct about, Hey, send an email and you're going to get on this list. Like there was a very, methodical process to making that something where I felt strongly that at least one time in one time in my life, I'll get away with that, you know, getting a bunch of people. And so I, uh, to, to like, you know, order multiple mints or whatever. And so I, I think that there's like beauty here in trying to be creative in ways of rewarding people that are interested in the space. Um, it's really, it's really early. We're only two years in and, and generally um, I think this, like systems will be established over time that help reward stuff, whether it's, you get points that you can exchange for like prints or something at the very, at the very minimum, you know, something that can, something that could be a, a lighter lift. And then over time as regulation, uh, like there's more clarity on regulatory stuff. Um, maybe there's, there's other ways to promise a little bit more future value, but it's, it's just a really hard balance. And in the meantime, um, you know, there's a Dutch auction system, which while it hurts sometimes, and, you know, I can say that as a user, as the, as the CEO of our blocks, as an artist that's dealt with that, um, it hurts, but like as someone that participates in these systems often, I still come off of them feeling like this is the fairest way to let the people with conviction to participate and, and, um, uh, and almost like a guaranteed way. And I've paid well over one ETH higher than resting on multiple Dutch auctions because I was, I was sure that I wanted that piece. I don't plan on selling it in the next 
however long. Like it just, it was a, it was a play that gave me plenty of conviction. And then the other side is there's so many drops all the time. It's also kind of just migrating from this feeling that like I have to have every art box, which I still haven't weaned myself off from. But um, I have now established the things in art box that I like more than others. And I, I think that I should lean into the type of art. There's no way that you could like every single piece of artwork. Some of them speak to flowers. Some of them have figurative elements. Some of them have sunsets and mountains. Like there's, there's no way that like every single one of them should appeal to every person. And so I don't know. I mean, I think it's a really hard question. We definitely want to reward people for being active participants in our space. It feels like the easiest way to reward that right now is with the meaningful in-person experience, which is my favorite part of this thing, uh, you know, to the point of the, the vellum drop, like I came after it was done, there was still 50 people there. And, you know, I got to give 50 people a hug and say hello and like connect after a few weeks, which is crazy of not seeing them. <laughs> so I feel like I see you guys so often, but yeah, I feel like there's, there's going to be different ways of, of reward mechanisms that get put in place. And for now, um, uh, anything that even kind of tiptoes along the lines of something that can be considered a security or a promise of future value, or even just incite speculation. I, I remember when gen.art, came out and like their big, their big like first tweet was like, here's all the things Heartbox is doing wrong. They didn't say that specifically, but they're like, this is what we're gonna do. And then they had these mint passes and everybody got really excited about these mint passes. But to me, like a mint pass feels just very wrong. It has always just felt like, the, like, a, a, like not the right way to onboard more people and to, and to not add a second speculatory, speculative layer on top of an already speculative blockchain and speculative artwork. A speculative platform. And so, um, you know, I think that there's certain things that we can do that feel clean, but they take time to figure out. They're going to be creative driven. Uh, and then there's things that, that, that we will probably end up doing in the future once there's a bit more regulation or clarity on regulation and also just understanding what people's sentiment uh, is. And when we feel like we've had enough people that participate in the platform, I think like a luxury car brand probably reaches some kind of homeostasis where they're like, Hey, we get more orders than the amount of cars we we release and, and, you know, they don't necessarily have to worry about always wanting to let new artists have a place. Whereas with our blocks, we always want to let new artists have a place. So we can't ever just kind of cut off the way that we cut off the luxury goods in, 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 in other markets. And so there's just going to be a lot of creativity that's going to go into trying to balance, making people feel rewarded, but at the same time, uh, not closing off new entrants, which I think literally right now is the most important thing existentially for not necessarily for the, really high value NFTs that are already out there, but for the, for the survival of like cryptocurrencies and uh, um, blockchain technology as a mainstream thing. So yeah, it's just, there's always a lot to balance there. And I feel like a lot of people have really good ideas, but every single great idea I've heard comes with like 49% good idea, 51% like, oh shit, what's gonna, well, you know, what about this? What's this attack vector? I still haven't quite felt the 51, 49 in the other direction, much less anything more, more meaningful than that. I feel like if we're going to make an action, it should be like 75% guaranteed to be goodwill or successful, or, you know, um, we're, we're kind of treading a, uh, just, we're just kind of walking a fine line. Uh, okay. Um, thank you for that. Uh, the question last, uh, this is for Eric and for G money. Uh, last week we had Ariel on from pace gallery. We were talking about, you know, the Pace Gallery collab where you're taking traditional artists and pairing them with a creative coder and then getting into, you know, what what makes a top tier generative artist? Do they have to code it themselves or is it okay? Or, or you know, what are the trade-offs? 
maybe we, we get art that's of a higher quality because we're pulling in more artists, but there's a trade-off, they're not coding it. You're just kind of wondering both what Eric and what G Money, what you think in terms of uh, from a generative drop, you know, how much more important or is it more important that the that the person who does the art also codes it or can art that's coded by someone else be on the at the highest level of gen art? Uh, I mean, I, I have my opinion on it. I, Eric, do you want to go first or? I mean, I'll just say that I like anyone that codes their own art is going to have a special place in my heart because this is where I come from. And this is my, my, like, you know, kind of my, ho my hobby. Um, but I also just really like really good fucking art. And so if we can get really good art out there, um, you know, there's, there's, there's pros and cons to everything. There's like every single thing that we do in the space has like, it's, it's positive and negatives. And so, you know, I, I don't necessarily see a, a, a ghost coder being a negative thing, although I really value when that ghost coder is mentioned and acknowledged for their work. I think that's incredibly valuable. That props up the generative art medium. Uh, and, and so to me, there's like, it's a very easy win for a non-generative artist that has creative ideas and, um, uh, you know, some, some conceptual stuff that I think will really kind of make an impact, not just in the Rblox platform, but to the collector's uh, to to acknowledge um, the person that created the artwork and and even interact with them like I think it'd be really wonderful for them to come onto a spaces with the artist right and talk about that relationship because you know how many, I, I I literally get hundreds of inbound uh, a month of people like hey I have a really good art project I just need a coder and I'm like yeah we don't put you in touch with a coder at this point first of all it's just getting a a coder which is also an artist to bring to life a concept of an artist is very 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 hard to do. Um, but when it does work, it's beautiful. And I think that that conversation should not just be buried, but that conversation should actually be brought to the, brought to the forefront. Um, of course, if somebody is coding their own art and they create something magical, um, that, that will always have like the, the, um, you know, that special place in my heart for it. But I, I just think it's, you know, as we get, you know, it's like 90CC, for example, like they weren't going to make, I mean, I guess they could come up with an algorithm, but I got, I was honored and, flattered to have the opportunity to bring my art to their platform. And instead of just kind of like saying, oh yeah, we, we created, I mean, of course it wouldn't have been a straight squiggle, maybe it would have been something different, but instead of saying, oh yeah, we created this algorithm, they brought in artists, they, 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 they took advantage of synergies that come from elevating both. And I think there's a really big opportunity there. Yeah. I mean, uh, to echo what, what Eric just said is, you know, I think that personally, like, I think it's super valuable uh, and great to have, you know, a coder uh, who's an artist in his own right and, you know, somebody with a creative vision come together and work on things, right? And I've been seeing that also, you know, with the stuff that I'm doing on 90CC. And also, like, when you think about it in terms of, like, you know, AI and all these tools that are coming down the pipeline of, you know, I think at some point in the very near future, like, you you know, you're going to be doing a lot of no code in, like, everything, whether it's, you know, art or, you know, generative art or anything in the creative process, as well as, like, productive um, productivity gains and all that. So I think this is just, like, one variation of that. Like, I think one of the interesting things is, you know, being able to highlight that person that you're working with. Uh, and, you know, I think that that's one of the things that, like, I've been trying to do with 90CC as well is, like, kind of use my platform to elevate the creatives that I'm working with and also like put things that I wouldn't be able to accomplish on my own out into the real world. So I think like when, when somebody with a creative idea teams up with, with somebody else that can help them execute, I think like 
I, I wouldn't say that that is not as valuable because they weren't able to do it all on their own. Yeah, I mean, I think my my view is that I don't I don't think the market's going to necessarily differentiate in the short term. I think that um, people will appreciate the art for the art. I'm just like for some of us that are hardcore purists, like you know, people on this panel and our guests. I agree with Eric that the the coder who is also the artist and puts out something spectacular is going to always be on the you know very top echelon. Um, but I don't necessarily think the market will differentiate from a pricing standpoint. All right, we're going to try to take a few audience questions and and wrap this up. So if you have one, please no shilling. Would appreciate it. Um, just go ahead and try to pop up on stage, or if you want to add one to the comments, I'll try to look through them. Um, in the meantime, while we're running through a few of those, um, Eric and G, I'll, I'll give, I'll shoot another one your way. If you could go back to the days of like the OG CryptoPunks discords, where there's like less than 50 people hanging out in there every day. And, and even Eric in the early stages of art blocks. I mean, I suspect I know the answer to this, but if you could change anything, would you? And if so, what would it be? Uh, I can answer that pretty quickly and easily. I would have uh, front run von, My von Mises on every trade and offer that he put out there on all the squiggles. Uh, that's what I would have done if I could change one thing from, from back then. <laughs> Too easy. <laughs> oh, that was a good yeah. one. Very good. It's <laughs> amazing. I don't, I don't know that I would change much because, I mean, I, yeah, I feel uh, everything just kind of happened and fell in place for a reason and you know, I wouldn't change the $200 zombies I sold for paying for Artbox development early on. I wouldn't change the $12,000 zombies. Uh, and the disc, because the discourse around it was so much fun. I mean, it, it was crazy to be able to like show someone a slab of concrete and be like, yeah, that zombie paid for it, Pranksy or Seed Phrase or whoever did that. Um, we had just the right amount of people entering with bad intentions and, and also just bad sentiment that were then converted into like, you know, positive contributors to the place. And, uh, I don't know. I, I guess my thing I would change is I would have bought vault.eth from Cry a lot earlier uh, in the process. Now, um, I feel like that would have been just a gem. And I, I don't think he wanted more than like one ETH for it, but maybe more. I don't know. But back then, ENS domains weren't going for as much. All right. Uh, 2009, I went ahead and brought you on stage. Did you have a question for anyone up, up on Yeah. Top? Hi, everyone. Uh, really interesting conversation. Enjoyed uh, listening. So thank you very much for that. Eric, uh, just a question for Eric. Eric, uh, are you familiar with uh, Decagon's, uh, Golded's uh, Decagon's? Oh, yeah, very yeah. familiar. Beautiful. Yes, and it just made me, something you said, uh, and I wouldn't mind your feedback on this, I think that might be the, the nut that might have been cracked because from my experience, um, for anybody that's in the audience not that doesn't know uh, Decagon's and uh, Deca Art, uh, to level up, each uh, generative piece you gain dxp dxp which is gained by you don't buy it it's not a coin uh by viewing art and reflecting on art and different pieces of art and that allows you then to upgrade your decagon and the decagon i believe it is about right now at one time it was free and now it's about ten dollars given the price of eth um so it's relatively free uh could be gifted so i just my question to you is do you think that's maybe a vehicle for this nut to be cracked of onboarding i find it really has been for myself i wouldn't mind your thoughts yeah i think it's incredible and i think it's, it's a beautiful thing it is probably 
five steps of complexity and hurdles more than I think the nut that I'm trying to crack necessarily with like the mainstream. Uh, I dug into it. I read all about it. I, I haven't participated in the Decagon mainly just out of a, a, a bandwidth um, level. And, and I, I just think everything Deck has done is incredible. And I'm just really proud that they're in this ecosystem. But I, I, I do very much think that within our space, within the already active participants, the people that are savvy with wallets and savvy uh, with like understanding collecting art, I do think it might have cracked that nut. And it's it's one of the most beautiful things on my timeline right now is seeing that Decagon's upgraded. Uh, and, and I'm just trying to think a little bit more towards um, like more mainstream adoption, but you're absolutely right there. I mean, it, it, is a, it is a wonderful demonstration of what that means. Does that mean that we're gonna see a little bit more at least within the Artbox ecosystem, built around uh, you know physical objects matching with the NFTs, experiences, a bit of both, some stuff that has yet to be announced. Uh, can you give us a little bit of insight there? I'm, I would like to dig into the ephemeral physical beyond just what friendship bracelets are. Like that's just one example of of what I consider being ephemeral phys physical. Um, and then, yeah, as we kind of strengthen our marketing strategy and understand more what it means to be in this space, more than just like a fly by the seat of our pants. Oh, yeah, every conference, let's go do this thing. I think we will have more meaningful uh, experiences for everyone involved. And we're excited to see what, what comes of that. What do you guys think is likely to be the the next major, I guess, market for generative algor uh, gener or algorithmically produced uh, anything, not just necessarily art, you know, like G with 90cc and clothing. I mean, is it going to be furniture? Is it going to be something entirely different? I mean, what's, in your opinion, what's the most likely um, next move? Uh, I mean, my my bet is obviously, I think, on uh, on fashion, right? And I think on the physical side of things. And I think a lot of it is just, you know, the the physical production capabilities catching up to the human imagination and um, and that to me is where i get really excited about you know the use of the tech in the real world yeah i, I agree i think fashion is going to be the i mean other than printing posters at ikea which i still think is like the lowest friction i think fashion and or not just like high fashion but apparel uh will will very much be that you know if i could if i could custom embroider squiggles in place of a polo logo on shirts like i i feel like that's something that would be just an easy an easy win uh, in terms of variability, but the, the yeah, the manufacturing capabilities have just not quite caught up yet. And I think we're still a ways out for that to be mainstream. Yeah, I think G touched on a good thing that I think about a lot is just the tech not quite catching up to what we have. And that, that especially applies to dynamic art. Like I think that's one thing that really drew me in to generative art because forever we've never been able to go up and touch art or interact with it or manipulate it. Now we can, we just don't quite have the displays that have made it seamless to do so. I think like the best ones we have are still $35,000, but I think over time we'll, we'll start to see like the tech catch up to all these amazing ideas that are, that are being spun up. I think I saw some ones that were like quite, uh, qu quite reasonably priced, or at least that's the plan. When I went to Pace, shame we don't have Ariel on here to talk about it, but I think that stuff is closer than we think. Although it'd be awesome to see some of like Zach Lieberman's light works on that Samsung screen. Maybe, maybe this year we'll see. It'd be awesome. If there's no more questions, uh, I think we'll wrap up unless anybody has some closing thoughts. 
Only thing I want to say is I really want to thank our two guests for coming today. You know, a lot of respect for both you guys and really pleased that you're able to join us today and help make this space really, really great today. So really appreciate it, G-Money and Eric. Thank you very much for coming today. Any opportunity to do something with G-Money is always exciting for me. Thanks, G, for uh, for being my partner in this and for you guys for inspiring this conversation. I think it's great. And I think we can never have enough of this. Like we can never have enough of this kind of conversation. And this isn't the kind of conversation you prep notes for, you know, this is just like real, you know, stream of consciousness stuff. So I, I appreciate the opportunity to, to participate with you guys. Yeah. I just want to go out and give away some of my friendship bracelets now onboard some more people. Let's go. Yeah. Thanks for <laughs> taking the time and, and having us on a uh, really awesome combo and, you know, hope to do it again sometime soon. All right, guys. Thanks so much. Thanks, everyone, for coming in, tuning in, and uh, we'll look forward to the next episode. We will include that uh, in a follow-up tweet, and uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone. Have a nice day.